Welcome to Michael Hoffman's Revisionist History, where we put the pedal to the metal when it comes to uncovering the forbidden and the suppressed. Hello, I'm Michael Hoffman, reporting from the offices of Independent History and Research in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, where our truth mission is based. Find out more at www.revisionisthistory.org. Let's hop aboard our time machine and travel back a little more than two weeks ago. The date is October 17, 2022. The place is Twitter, and specifically my Twitter account, at Hoffman Michael A., My tweet still stands. You can verify its date and content for yourself. On October 17th, I tweeted a prediction, quote, U.S. intelligence agencies covertly infiltrate a GOP MAGA group and direct the patsies to violently attack a high-profile Democrat. Media rubber stamp plausible denial by intelligence agencies. Democrats retain their congressional majority in the November election. End quote. Lo and behold, 11 days later on October 28th, the police and the media reported that a brutal attack on Paul Pelosi, husband of the Speaker of the House, occurred in the couple's unguarded San Francisco residence perpetrated by David DePap, a man the corporate media have described as a right-wing blogger and MAGA activist. There you have it. My October 17th prediction fulfilled in detail. Last-minute political advantage gained on schedule. How did I know? Am I clairvoyant? No, I am not. I am a pattern detector, a career I embarked upon first as a crime reporter in New York for the Associated Press and later in the course of writing two books on crimes committed by the cryptocracy that have occult trappings, In 2001, I wrote the book Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, and 20 years later, in 2021, we published Twilight Language. Both those books are available on our website, revisionisthistory.org. Approaching the national elections, Democrats under Biden were in a tight corner prior to the attack on Pelosi. They claim the major media as their allies and partners in cover-ups and their own Merrick Garland's FBI, as well as predominating in the NSA and other federal intelligence agencies. To their credit, a few FBI whistleblowers have come forward to Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley to testify to the corrupt partisan nature of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So far, to little effect. If mainstream news journalists are so concerned that political extremism is resulting in more violence against public officials, why did they, en masse, downplay the assassination attempt against Supreme Court Justice Brent Kavanaugh in June? Where the New York Times has put the alleged Pelosi assassination attempt on its front page for two days in a row, it buried the story of the Kavanaugh murder plot on page A20. Three days later, none of the Sunday morning political shows, such as NBC's Meet the Press, even mentioned the assassination attempt. 
Michael Schellenberger points all this out on Substack. He also mentions the double standard in news media coverage is brought into sharper relief when one considers that the suspect in the murder plot against Kavanaugh, Nicholas Roski, age 26, has, unlike DePap, shown no sign of psychosis. Rather, he appears to be motivated by the same kind of political fanaticism that has gripped climate activists around the world, end quote from Michael Schellenberger from his Substack column. Now over to Miranda Devine at the New York Post, quote, Joe Biden lost no time blaming ultra-mega, semi-fascist, MAGA Donald Trump supporters for the strange attack on Paul Pelosi in his San Francisco home on Friday, October 28th. Barack Obama did the same, using a rally in Michigan for failed Governor Gretchen Whitmer to rail against politicians who work to stir up division to try to make us angry and afraid of one another for their own advantage. So did Hillary Clinton, who tweeted, The Republican Party and its mouthpieces now regularly spread hate and deranged conspiracy theories. It is shocking, but not surprising, that violence is the result. So did Kamala Harris, demanding people speak out against hate. So did all the Democrat-aligned media who delivered the same talking points in unison, along with a false depiction of the alleged attacker as a MAGA Republican in defiance of his drug-addicted hippie lifestyle, Green Party membership, and the BLM and LGBT signs festooned across his sometime residence, a nudist commune in San Francisco's gay Castro district. In the middle of the Democrats' meltdown over the Supreme Court's abortion decision in June, Californian Nicholas Roski allegedly traveled across the country to kill Justice Brett Kavanaugh and was arrested outside the justice's house with a tactical vest, Glock pistol, knife, zip ties, pepper spray, a hammer, screwdriver, nail punch, crowbar, duct tape, and padded boots. Biden and company never turned down the temperature on abortion then, not as pregnancy centers were firebombed and pro-abortionists continued to harass justices at their homes, placing them and their families in fear of their lives. End quote from Miranda Devine in the New York Post. Well, that's the double standard, folks, and most of us are well familiar with it. The most seriously politically motivated violence in the past two years was four months' worth of burning, looting, rioting, and urban chaos in the summer and fall of 2020. Lest we forget, encouraged by Democrats such as Kamala Harris and explained away and minimized by the Democrat Party's corporate media, The BLM riots resulted in $2 billion in damages, more than 24 people killed, 1,500 law enforcement officers wounded, and the destruction of police stations and a federal courthouse. Here's what Kamala Harris had to say at the time, and we quote, They're not going to stop. They're not. This is a movement, I'm telling you. They're not going to stop, and everyone, beware, because they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they are not going to stop after Election Day. And everyone should take note of that on both levels, that they're not going to let up, and they should not, and we should not. End quote from Kamala Harris. Conservative Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky had to undergo surgery after he was attacked by a leftist neighbor who spent all of one month in jail for badly beating the senator, In the aftermath of the violent assault on Senator Paul on March 22, 2020, Nancy Pelosi's daughter, Christine Pelosi, stated on Twitter, quote, Rand Paul's neighbor was right, end quote. 
Rand Paul's neighbor was right to inflict serious injuries on a United States senator. And those are the words of the daughter of Nancy Pelosi. Did you hear about it? On January 21st, 2021, retired three-star U.S. Navy Admiral Mike Franken, candidate for the U.S. Senate in Iowa, stated on Twitter, wasn't Rand's neighbor more than a little in the right? Rand's neighbor broke six of Senator Paul's ribs, damaged his lung, part of which had to be removed, and left him in chronic pain for weeks afterward. And the Democratic candidate for the Senate in Iowa insinuates that the criminal who inflicted these injuries was in the right? Pelosi's daughter encouraging violence against Republicans? The Democrats' candidate for U.S. Senate encouraging violence against Republicans? No apologies, just brazen violence advocacy. It's okay with the media because the violent rhetoric is aimed at Republicans. The Democrat-controlled legacy media have little or nothing to say about it because it would spoil the political rally they have mounted on the heels of the attack on Paul Pelosi. Utter corruption, utter partisanship, put forth without shame over the damage such selective indignation does to the commonweal, the damage it does to our national unity and standards of fairness. If the issue really was the encouragement of political violence, then incitement to violence on the part of the right and the left would be fairly reported. That's not the case. Republican candidate for New York Governor Lee Zeldin was physically attacked this year by a man who the media refused to connect to anti-Republican vitriol. In March of 2020, Senator Schumer of New York stated on the footsteps of the Supreme Court, and I quote, I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions, end quote. On June 8th of this year, Nicholas Roski flew from California to the Washington, D.C. area, as we have noted, with his pistol, his burglary tools, intent on killing Kavanaugh and two other justices of the Supreme Court. While this near murder of Kavanaugh had transpired, Nancy Pelosi blocked passage of legislation that would provide increased security for the justices, a move that escalated fear for the families of conservative Supreme Court justices who were under siege in their homes. Where's the media on this? Why aren't they bringing this up now at this juncture? Former President Obama is on record stating in Pennsylvania, quote, if they bring a knife to the fight, we bring a gun. Because from what I understand, folks in Philly like a good brawl. I've seen Eagles fans. I don't want to quell anger. I think people are right to be angry. End quote. Wow, that's peacemaker Obama. He said those words? Jeepers, I didn't read about that in my local newspaper. No, you didn't. Democratic Congresswoman Maxine Waters is on record urging harassment of Republican aides and officials, quote, let's make sure we show up wherever we have to show up. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd and you push back on them and you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. The people are going to turn on them. They're going to absolutely harass them, end quote from Congresswoman Maxine Waters. That's not violent rhetoric? 
These are the overt manifestation of left-wing appeals to violence against their rivals for political power. We don't doubt there are right-wing appeals as well. Both are deplorable and both should be denounced and exposed. But music star Madonna saying she wanted to blow up the Trump White House in 2017 is now forgotten. And the example of the Democrats' rhetoric of incitement against conservatives, those examples are minimized or omitted altogether in the New York Times or on CBS News and reporting on the attack on Mr. Pelosi. There's another card from the tarot deck that's in play here as well. But before we go there, this podcast and my writing and publishing work are supported by donations from truth seekers and the sale of our publications and recordings, including the 10 books and 122 issues of our Revisionist History newsletter that I've written. Go to www.revisionisthistory.org for more information on how to make a purchase or a donation. And please tell others about this podcast, Michael Hoffman's Revisionist History, available around the world through the RSS feed. All right. The New York Times newspaper's attempt to pin so-called misinformation charges on conservatives, which is so naked in its partisanship it can be seen for what it is, a brazen attempt to outlaw disagreeing with New York Times dogma. If you disagree... With them, you're spreading misinformation. That's the working definition of misinformation in the legacy media, radically and strongly dissenting from notions that a nine-month-old baby in the womb of its mother is not a human being and may therefore be legally killed and discarded in the trash. Pregnancy counseling centers that nobly advocate for human rights for unborn human beings I repeat that, human rights for unborn human beings were attacked, vandalized, and torched in the summer of this year. And the FBI has been arresting those who peacefully protest abortion and have made no arrests in the cases of numerous attacks by terrorist organizations and affiliates of those who call themselves Jane's Revenge. What does that tell you about Attorney General Merrick Garland's FBI? It is deeply disturbing to see the extent to which the federal intelligence and police agencies have been politicized, a fact which severely undercuts the rule of law and respect for those agencies. The New York Times, meanwhile, has labeled as misinformation any questioning of the official government and mainstream accounts of how Mr. Pelosi was attacked, why his house was unguarded, why a residence that usually houses the Speaker of the House of Representatives had no functioning surveillance cameras. You ask those questions, and you are a conspiracy theorist. You're a misinformation spreader. Well, I asked questions like that of Donald Trump's Attorney General William Barr when, on his watch, the surveillance cameras were conveniently not functioning and the guards were conveniently sound asleep in a high-security jail housing child molestation ringleader Jeffrey Epstein, who supposedly committed suicide. It's in communist China or Stalin's Soviet Union where a citizen could not and cannot ask questions of the government and the media without being labeled a bad person or worse. That kind of authoritarianism should never have command over the U.S., but increasingly it does exert that command. 
Under authoritarian Democrats, a truly chilling development occurred on the part of a U.S. government police agency when the Department of Homeland Security announced an Orwellian disinformation governance board to chill free speech and intimidate dissenting views that threaten the interests of the federal bureaucracy. The objective of the federal government has been to police social media and in defiance of the First Amendment of our Bill of Rights impose on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and similar public forums online censorship that is friendly to the government. It is government censorship by surrogate, using the collusion of social media corporations to slant information toward the government's viewpoint and against those who dissent. We saw this with the questions about the story of the assault on Paul Pelosi. To doubt the official story is a bad thing done only by bad people. We're at the stage where we're not allowed to speak freely without being damned by those who signal their angelic virtue by telling the feds and the New York Times, I believe most everything you say. I'm a good person. We know for a fact that Laura Demlo, section chief of the FBI's Foreign Influence Task Force, told J.P. Morgan bankers and Twitter executives that the presence of what she called questionable information on social media could undermine support for the U.S. government. And she warned ominously, quote, we need a media infrastructure that is held accountable, period, end quote. Whoa, whoa. The news-gathering operations of online media must be held accountable to federal bureaucrats like Laura Demlow? Like, for example, the China Daily News is held accountable to Xi Jinping? According to reporting by Ken Klippenstein and Li Fang at Intercept.com, in the Department of Homeland Security's Quadrennial Homeland Security Review, outlining the department's strategy and priorities in the coming years, the department plans to, quote, target inaccurate information on a wide range of topics, including the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic and the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines, racial justice, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and the nature of U.S. support to Ukraine, end quote. The Department of Homeland Security is a police agency with 240,000 employees and immense power, and this bureaucracy is going to decide the merits of your or my statements on matters pertaining to COVID-19 vaccines and racial justice, the war in Ukraine, and the U.S. government's disaster in Afghanistan? Does that strike you as at all authoritarian? Or is it a case of now that the left is in power, the old 60s radicals' distrust of secret police and federal agencies has now turned to unqualified support? Not that they have any legal basis for regulating expression or speech, since they are forbidden to do so by the Constitution, but nevertheless, as a contingency, I would like to know the Department of Homeland Security's definition of categories such as misinformation and what constitutes dangerous speech. Might it be the speech that led to Republican Congressman Steve Scalise being gunned down on a baseball field by a Bernie Sanders supporter? Or Kamala Harris inciting BML rioters? Or Senator Schumer threatening Justice Kavanaugh? 
You know, for some reason, I doubt those acts would fall under the government's definition of dangerous expression. More likely, it would be this broadcast to which you are listening that would draw the ire of the Kafkaesque deep state. What is more, as Ken Klippenstein and Lee Fang note at The Intercept, quote, U.S. officials have routinely lied about an array of issues from the causes of its wars in Vietnam and Iraq to their most recent obfuscation around the role of the National Institutes of Health in funding the Wuhan Institute of Virology's coronavirus research. Amen. Continuing now, that track record has not prevented the U.S. government from seeking to become arbiters of what constitutes false or dangerous information on inherently political topics. End quote and another, amen. How dare they? How dare they? The New York Times and Comcast, NBC and MSNBC TV networks, to cite but two examples, have printed or broadcast oceans of what critics could justifiably term serious misinformation. Most recently about the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines and masking, the origins of the COVID pandemic itself, the impact of open borders and illegal immigration, and the perpetrators of mass shootings in Uvalde, Texas and Las Vegas, Nevada, among others. When they colluded with the former intelligence chiefs who lied and stated that Hunter Biden's laptop was a Russian plot and fake news, the New York Times and Comcast NBC and the rest of the legacy media were promulgating misinformation. So who are they to sit in judgment on what constitutes misinformation? Can any one of us dare to judge the self-appointed arbiters of truth seated in the offices of the major corporate media? In considering the collusion between major media and the FBI and Homeland Security, it appears that unless the media of mass communication were to espouse limited government and conservative ideology, the answer would be they are untouchable part of the two-tiered system which has emerged publicly of late, whereby the demonized and dehumanized conservative Christians and other traditionalists are increasingly viewed as unqualified for leadership, while opinion molders in Manhattan and Hollywood are to the manner born, the manner in this case being Homeland Security-approved reporting and opinionating, otherwise known in the jargon of the unelected bureaucrats as cognitive infrastructure which cannot dominate until the original promise of the Internet as the uninterdicted form of the people and the people's right to know is transformed into an online system that has as its first priority genuflecting to the agenda of the intelligence agencies and the New York Times. When Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg was interviewed by podcaster Joe Rogan last August, he confessed that Facebook had limited the New York Post's reporting on Hunter's laptop after Zuckerberg was counseled by the FBI. We know the names of those agents who counseled Zuckerberg. The aforementioned Laura Demlo and San Francisco Special Agent Elvis Chan. Think about that. Think about how the suppression of the news about the laptop may have affected the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Think about the role of the FBI, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, and social media. What has happened to our Internet? 
According to TheIntercept.com, quote, in June, the Homeland Security Advisory Board, which includes executives from social media, drafted a report calling for an expansive role for the agency in shaping the information ecosystem. The report called on the Department of Homeland Security to closely monitor, quote, social media platforms of all sizes, mainstream media, cable news, hyper-partisan media, talk radio, and other online resources. They argued that Homeland Security needed to take steps to halt the spread of information that undermines key democratic institutions, such as the financial system or public health measures. End quote. You want to abolish the Federal Reserve Bank, or maybe you just want to audit it. It's never been audited, by the way. Well, you may be subject to investigation by the federal government's Department of Homeland Security. On Facebook, you disagree with COVID-19 lockdowns? Well, then the Science and Technology Directorate of the Department of Homeland Security may ask for your post to be removed. Honestly, that's the title of that particular bureaucracy, the Science and Technology Directorate. They know best. You don't. So, are you running a hyper-partisan media outlet? Hyper-partisan talk radio? Well, you'll be subject to investigation. By the way, perish the thought that the Department of Homeland Security might be hyper-partisan. Or Merrick Garland's FBI. That would be misinformation. The Homeland Security Commissars, quote, leverage advanced data analytics technology and hire and train skilled specialists to better understand how threat actors use online platforms to introduce and spread toxic narratives, end quote. What a puddle of puke. Where did they get that jargon? They define the threat actors as those Americans whose speech pose threats to, quote, trust in government, public health, and financial markets. (laughs) Really, I mean, it's just too much. Everyone from Henry David Thoreau to Lysander Spooner to Noam Chomsky have undermined trust in the U.S. government. And suddenly, that which is a civic duty of a citizen is a subject for federal investigation and censorship on social media? What a joke! In the 1970s, Washington Post reporters Woodward and Bernstein were undermining trust in the U.S. government and were celebrated and rewarded for doing so. Oh, oh yeah, wait, wait, I get it. The Washington Post was undermining trust in the U.S. government when Richard Nixon was president. Oh, so that was okay. That was admirable. Now that the Democrats have gained firm purchase over the federal government, it's no longer admirable. In fact, it's not even okay. It's potentially a crime subject to investigation by a federal police agency with nearly a quarter million employees and a vast budget. Nothing to worry about. In addition to the hypocrisy, we ought to be employing another forbidden category in our analysis here, which the Democrats refuse to allow to be associated with them, and that forbidden category is censorship. Cancel culture is currently targeting Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett. In 2021, she signed a contract with Penguin Random House Publishing to write a book on her jurisprudence. Since then, according to the industry periodical Publishers Weekly, quote, open letter condemns Amy Coney Barrett's book deal, end quote. 
559 so-called concerned publishing professionals have signed the letter. In it, they say Penguin Random House must decide whether to fund her position at the expense of human rights. What do they call human rights? The right to kill an unborn human being. That's a human right. Orwell termed it doublethink. And there's more of that. It's pro forma now for cancel culturalists to say they don't believe in canceling anyone. And by the same token, they say they do not advocate censorship. Consequently, in the letter to Penguin Random House seeking the censorship of Justice Amy Coney Barrett's book, the authors say, and I quote, we are not calling for censorship, end quote. Denise O'Leary at the mindmatters.ai website has a great take on this doublethink. She writes, quote, participants in cancel culture generally give themselves the right to assume whatever identity they want and then demand that others assent to it. Thus, when engaging in behavior that they themselves would probably call censorship when others do it, they demand that the world nonetheless not see them as censors. A great deal depends on whether the publishing world will let the cancelers get away with that. End quote from Denise O'Leary. Yes, will they be allowed to get away with this masquerade? At this juncture, I'd like to remind my listeners that I am neither right-wing nor left-wing. Hence, it's incumbent on people like me to remind the conservatives, and not just the left, of the fact that Kyrie Irving, an NBA basketball player, and the musician and designer Kanye West are at this moment subjects of cancel culture from the right for statements they have made. Now, in all these cases that we're discussing here today, I stand with the old adage attributed to Voltaire. I may not agree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. There's nothing more American than that. The right-wing Babylon Bee was banned by Twitter seven months ago for telling a joke that referred to an adult male as a man. They could have restored their Twitter account at any time by deleting their tweet, but they refused. With Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter, their account has been restored without them having to compromise. In response, the director of the Babylon Bee stated, never censor yourself, end quote. Well, presumably his advice applies to Kanye and Kyrie as well. Now, I know people will respond by stating that in matters of hate speech, there must be cancellation. Well, if that's the case, then the U.S. media will have to cancel most of the right-wing politicians in the Israeli state who are guilty of hate speech against the Palestinian people that is seldom publicized or decried by conservatives in the U.S. Examining the left-right divide, each side's credibility in the debate over information and misinformation, censorship and cancel culture is undermined if they are not consistent in their jeremiads. The concept of free speech for me, but not for thee, undermines the whole issue. Be consistent. Be Voltaire. This is Michael Hoffman reporting to you from www.revisionisthistory.org. Finally, I wish to address concepts I have raised in my books, Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, and Twilight Language, among the 10 books that I wrote. Those are two of them that pertain to this subject today. 
That is, in relation to the break-in at the Pelosi mansion. These include the concept of the revelation of the method, because there's more to this story than what has so far been discussed or reported, much more. And it is psychological, not just criminal or political. My longtime associate, Bill, wrote to offer the revelation that vitiates the cryptocracy script in this regard. He said, quote, This was no break-in, obviously. The husband of the third-in-line individual for the U.S. presidency, living in a home totally unprotected, with no alarms, etc. The media will peddle this narrative to the sheep, however. End quote. Well, you're correct as usual, Bill. I bring up Bill's insight to draw your attention to a psychological warfare point. In the wake of the murder of President John F. Kennedy in Dallas in 1963 in Dealey Plaza, the lone nut script was threadbare almost from when it was first floated. The American people had a strong intuition in the following months that there were more involved in the public execution just after high noon of the commander-in-chief of the United States of America than just one punk. Since then, Many of the details of the conspiracy have been documented, and I do that in my book Twilight Language on pages 175 to 232. In October 2022, a similar intuition is present. There is far more to the Pelosi intruder attack tale than the controlled media have let on. The notion that the husband of the Speaker of the House of Representatives was residing in an unguarded mansion lacking functioning surveillance cameras and crime-ridden San Francisco is of a piece with the tooth fairy. This fact is available to you on the internet in various conspiracy theory forums, so my intent here is not to merely repeat them. Rather, I want to impart something about the mind control I first elucidated in secret societies and psychological warfare more than 20 years ago. How to describe that mind control that I see in this story about Paul Pelosi and DePap? Let's call it deliberate nose-thumbing. It's also known as the revelation of the method. One could also term it demonic defiance of the humanity our Creator endowed us with as his reasoning image-bearing beings. Our would-be masters were fully cognizant way back in Dallas 63, just as now in San Fran 22, that the lone nut story was going to be disbelieved in the substrata of the subconscious of the American people. That disbelief was the cryptocracy's objective. I repeat, sowing that disbelief was the cryptocracy's objective to convey their self-advertised immunity. Their defiant message is, is that they don't care what we think. That's the conclusion to be drawn from their memo to the group mind, the judgment that we are too obtuse, too apathetic, too weak, timid, and distracted to act on what we intuit to be true, even as we spot the fraud. When the method is revealed and we the people never manage to prosecute, try, convict, and punish those who are behind the crimes and hoaxes, our bondage to the cryptocrats is rendered ever more certain 
and fixed. Please pay attention to this truth. Our enslavement is founded on our own volition. In the spook stories of yesteryear, you will recall that a man signed a contract with the devil for the sale of his soul. In our time, this is the contract that we have signed. Knowing what the enemy is doing to us, by our inaction, we demonstrate our submission to the enemy as an autonomous act of our own choosing. We have signed the contract. And this psychological warfare is the most potent of all forms of mind control. I'm sorry, but the account of the invasion of the Pelosi home is full of holes. It is fraudulent on its face, and yet it maintains cachet as the officially approved police and media narrative, and we are left to mumble and grumble on the sidelines as the emperor parades with no clothes, which, considering David DePap's profile as a nudist, is perhaps something of an esoteric indicator of that very fact. The fable of the assault on Paul Pelosi is more than conspiracy. It's psychodrama. I'm Michael Hoffman. I'm reporting to you from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Our website is revisionisthistory.org. Thank you for joining me today.